0: You know what, Darren? What you need to do is get Carnival to start doing a visit to St. Joe. Sooner or later, they'll sink one in the preserve. Recorded live.
1: Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in new the news. Obsessed. episode 157 was recorded live April 18th, 2013. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren jilton in the soggy side of Lake Michigan. And with me this week, I have our dive mentor, Mac. How are you doing today, Mac?
2: I'm doing great. Something warm
1: outside? It is. It did feel a little warm, it did, indicating that we may be a tad bit closer to actually seeing spring-like weather. And we also have joining us from the east side of Michigan, Dave Tonneman. How are you doing today, Dave? Can't complain,
0: Darren. I it's cool. starting to get spring and getting warm.
1: I hear you. I'm, I'm more than ready for it. Now, uh, as we indicated in the beginning of the show, we were talking about a little bit soggy, We are getting rain, which, as I understand, water is one component of scuba diving. So I see that as a good sign.
0: Well, I'm looking in the driveway and thinking about getting a quick dive tonight.
1: Yeah, hopefully you don't end up going in deco on that. So we've got a full docket tonight on the news. We're going to jump right on into it. If you happen to be in the chat room, and we appreciate those who have joined us tonight, you get the news articles ahead of everyone else. First one is a recall trident diving equipment has a, another recall of a high pressure hose I'm trying to catch up with the link myself. The name of the product is high pressure scuba diving air hoses. The hazard is the hose connections oh the hose that connects the regulator's tanks pressure gauge can leak posing a drowning hazard to the user. Consumers should immediately stop using the hose and contact trident diving equipment for a free replacement hose. Uh, And they have the link on their website if you go to www.tridentdive.com. It's the smooth, high-pressure hose safety recall for more information. The units affected are only 200, if I'm reading this right, says about 200. Description The recalled hoses are high-pressure scuba hoses with black, smooth rubber outer coating, about 5 millimeters in diameter, and 32 or 36 inches long. The hoses connect the regulator to the tank pressure gauge. The phrase Scuba Diving High Pressure Hose ID 316th, 4.76 mm WP5000 PSI, exceed SAE, with Kevlar fiber from DuPont, is printed in white lettering on the hose's outer covering. The hose has a metal fitting on each end, one female fitting and one male fitting. C-E-E-N 250-230 is stamped on the female fitting, and one of the following production date codes is in the male hex head fitting, T. 1011 T1111 or T0312 Trident has received one report of hose leaking no injuries have been reported they said it sold for about $35 between November 2011 and June 2012 it was manufactured in Taiwan and imported by Trident Diving now Dave is that common for such a small recall
0: What I'm guessing is that this is a a hose that's manufactured for Trident by the same company that's been making the other high-pressure hoses that have gone through recall. Trident has a lower volume of sales for those hoses. Everybody wants the name brand, the MyFlex and whatnot, and the Phantoms, and I'm guessing that that's the reason for the low volume is they just haven't sold as many.
1: So essentially it's come from the same batch during the same manufacturing period just stamped specifically for Trident. So uh, since there was a report, they have to assume that it's somehow connected with the previous recalls.
0: Right. And that's one of the, you know, most everybody, when they're getting into buying the flex hoses and the real small high-pressure hoses, they're looking for the name brand, the MyFlexes and the Phantoms, like I said. And I'm sure it's just volume.
1: What's interesting on this one that I hadn't seen any others is they actually mentioned uh, some, manu- some OEM type of products such as Kevlar. And yeah, DuPont. and
0: it's the same as the other ones. I did it, it is kind of surprising I actually brought the DuPont name in, but uh that's the rest of them are all the same. I'm I'm guessing it has to be from the same same uh OEM. And well, if you look at the uh, production dates, they're uh we're talking, you know, October, November of uh two thousand eleven through March of two thousand twelve. So it's probably the same batch. or the same time period.
1: Makes you wonder if there happen to be a certain individual who's responsible for all these hoses—if it just happened to be one guy who didn't step on the pedal hard enough to make the crimp go down—that
0: yeah, very well could be. Or they were in uh, union contract negotiations.
1: Ooh, that would be a bad thought. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, it's reminiscent of the uh, of uh, when the, some of the tire strikes have gone in, where they sent the supervisors in, and then you know, nine months later, everybody's tires are delaminating. Next up is out of Chicago, so just around the corner from us in the south side of Lake Michigan, we have Chicago. And flooding forces sewage to be diverted into Lake Michigan after several days of rain. The excess amount of water has caused Chicago underground their aging sewers and giant tunnels today, which is Thursday. It's forcing the, uh, oh, what should we say, an odiferous mix of sewage and stormwater into the local waterways and into Lake Michigan. This waste uh, had overloaded the system until it had uh, filled up basements and geysers of wastewater shot out of several sewer manholes. (laughs) That just creates an an image I would love to see. Uh, I guess there are videos captured on smartphones and posting online, so you probably go out to Google and search for Chicago sewer geysers or something, and you'll see something. Uh, To relieve the pressure, engineers at the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District were forced to rely on the region's sewage outage of last resort. They did this as recently as July 2011, where they opened locks and sluice gates that separate the Chicago River system from the lake, allowing millions of gallons of raw and partially treated waste to flow with runoff into the water supply for Chicago's 7 million residents. The district started opening the Sluice Gates at the North Shore Channel and Wilmette about 1.25 a.m. and then opened near Navy Pier at 3.47, which kind of gives you a little bit of a visual idea. we got a couple uh, good flows going. When water level began to rise dangerously high in the Cal Sag Channel and Calumet River on the south side, the district opened the locks at 134th Street at 6.15 a.m. It's unclear when the locks will be closed again. Uh, they say it will take them a few days after the storms have subsided. A spokesman for the Chicago Department of Wastewater, Tom Laporte, said the city so far has not noticed any unusual contamination in drinking water. So I guess that means they haven't been able to taste it yet.
0: No, but I am guessing that the dive forecast is calling for crappy conditions.
1: <laughs> well, it should give you a little bit more marine life to look at. You know, some floaters going by.
0: Quite possible
1: department officials are constantly monitoring the situation and a precaution they started adding more bacteria cleaning, uh, killing chlorine to the lake water before pumping it into households and businesses.
0: (laughs) So now instead of having salt water in the Great Lakes, we're going to chlorinate them. Yeah,
1: Yeah, we'll just chlorinate the whole Great Lakes. Now, is this going to do anything (laughs) for the Asian carp? They're probably going to feel right at home.
0: Wow. No, this isn't the first time they've done this, though.
1: No, this is a this is normal. Uh, what Chicago and and living in the area, we're used to these type of conditions. Chicago's got a project I've been working on. Mac, when did they start that deep tunnel project?
2: Say that again. Which which deep tunnel are you talking?
1: in Chicago they got the deep the deep tunnel project that they started in the 80s. See what what's Chicago's got, and like many cities, it's not just Chicago who did it. The tradition was. Your sewers and your your like you know septic gray water black water sewers are run through the same pipes as your storm sewers, so you get a big rain on the streets in downtown Chicago. It runs into storm sewers and everything combined. So you get heavy rain like we've had the last few days, and it just overwhelms. So what Chicago did is they started their deep water or their deep tunnel sewer project, and it's a very deep tunnel, hence the name. And it was going to run out and it's supposed to be able to hold a large volume of water. So it was going to take the overflow and then pump it away. But it's one of those projects where even when they set it up, it was a 20 to 30 year project, which I think it's gone way beyond that now. And I haven't heard. And some, when you go through the comments down below the article, you have people asking about it.
0: I've got some uh, comments for you on that, Darren. Uh, I did quick, quick Google research and shockingly, um, the plan is called the Tunnel and Reservoir Plan. They abbreviated it TARP, reminiscent oh. of another crappy project. But um <laughs> they say it was commissioned in the mid seventies and completion is not anticipated until twenty twenty nine. Substantial portions of the system have opened and are currently operational. Over thirty years of construction and over three billion dollars expended.
1: Yeah, only only Chicago could spend three billion on a hole in the ground. Wow. <laughs> <clears throat> I feel safe. I'm on this side of the state, so all the gangsters aren't going to come over to me.
0: Might have to get some cave divers to go inspect that system.
1: It's a, it's a deep. Do they say in this? I'm looking at the Wikipedia post that you put in. Uh, trying to think of how deep it is. 30 feet, guys, okay. Oh, they're talking about, yeah, because in the 90s, was it 80s and 90s when they had that flood where they uh, somebody ran a piling into the tunnels and flooded all the downtown Chicago? Uh, yeah, flood of 92.
0: All I'm seeing are length factors. I'm not seeing any kind of depth.
1: Yeah, from what I understand, it was going to be pretty deep. So you're probably going to be. Uh, There'd be definitely be a technical dive.
0: That's that's one we're going to have to use cave divers for, though. I don't I don't think us wreck guys can do that.
2: I'm not sure you really want to go in there, though. You know why?
0: I know why. I don't want to go in there. Well, that.
2: Well, uh, I, I was looking at the quote. It says, "This isn't to say that deep tunnel has been ineffective. Quite the opposite." One advantage of the reversal of the Chicago River and its use as a giant sewer was that it created a barrier of poison. Initially, Chicago's wastes were so anoxic or toxic that clean water organisms could not survive in the toxic zone they created in the canals and the connecting channels. This toxic zone effectively served as a barrier, preventing the exchange of organisms between the two Great Lakes and the Mississippi River ecosystems. Therefore, it can kill the Asian carb. <laughs>
1: Either that, or we're going to have uh, the Tokyo version of the Asian carp, Godzilla carp.
0: Oh yeah, three eyes, two jaws. Yeah,
1: you know, bites boats in half. Mm. Oh. well, they can keep it on that side of the lake. There's like a barrier between the west side and the east side, isn't there? That won't, that can't come over.
0: Yeah, it'll just all settle out in the middle. Mm.
1: Okay. Oh, and then let me paste this. I. This one did make the show notes before the show, so I'll give it to you guys. Uh, giant boxes have been attached to the coast of Concordia to help refloat it. The first of the 30 giant hollow boxes have been attached to the side of the uh, cruise ship. Efforts intensified to refloat the vessel more than a year after it capsized. The 395-ton compartment known as a Sponson was welded to the hull of the 950-foot-long cruise liner. Fifteen of the huge steel boxes will be attached to each side of the Concordia. The plan is to haul it upright with the use of jacks and cables and then refloat it with the aid of the compartments, which will be pumped full of air and act like armbands. The largest of the boxes weighs 500 tons, the height of a 10-story building. And they must be using the same firm to do this as the Deep Tunnel Project. Cost of the operation has jumped from the initial estimate of $300 million to $400 million.
0: Must be government-run. No, if it was government run, it'd be six hundred million <laughs>
1: yeah, they, the, we're not low, yeah. the low bid
0: I still think they should have just pushed it off the ledge i
1: I agree with you there guy imagine how awesome much economy that would have done for that island there
0: almost oh, certainly I would have gone over just to dive a cruise ship that just sank. Yeah. that that would have been incredible.
1: Oh, that'd be one of the best dives there is and imagine what they could do is you could you could you could do it where they could have sold you salvage rights. So what you do is you buy, like, not only do you have to pay to dive on the wreck, but for, like, a 50 or or $100 salvage, you could go and take off it whatever you wanted.
0: And that would lighten the boat so it would float easier. Yeah.
1: Heck, they could pay back all the insurance claims and everything just off that.
0: I would volunteer just to recover stuff from the safes and the rooms.
1: Let's see. Is there anything else in this article worth talking about?
0: There's some interesting information in the article about a... A uh, loosely based play, I guess, a Bollywood movie, but uh, I don't know that that's really worth discussing.
1: Yeah, Bollywood, how many movies do they do a year? Like a thousand? I mean, they, they have to have a movie on just about every plot. And then, let's see, we'll, we'll, we'll stay on our cruise ship theme. We have, just when you thought it was safe to get back on the cruise boat, we have another cruise ship losing power. Maybe they need to pay their electrical bills. Uh, there was a power outage on the 256-passenger Carnival Ecstasy. It occurred Wednesday and only lasted for about 12 minutes. The ship was sailing off the coast of Florida at the time of the incident. The power loss is caused by a mechanical issue and was quickly repaired. There's no engine fire this time. <laughs> it was reported early Thursday by a Florida news outlet. All hotel services in the ship, including toilets and elevators, are working. <laughs> How bad has your PR gotten Doing, you have to release a press release that says our toilets are working. (laughs) Oh, they, they said that the SSC returned this morning to its home port of Port Canaveral as scheduled. The ship was at the end of a five day cruise that began Saturday.
0: Yeah, Darren, the way I'm kind of looking at this, I think that these incidents have always occurred on these cruise lines. Just, I think the Concordia incident kind of brought this stuff to the forefront, and it's being reported now. Oh, yeah. It's not uncommon on these cruise ships to have these issues. Just now, you know, with 24-hour media and and with the Concordia incident, they're looking for it. And poor Carnival, I'm sure that some of their competitors are sitting out there. I mean, I'm looking here, and uh, on that article, I see a pop-up ad for Norwegian cruise lines. I'm sure their competitors are just, hey, did you hear what happened to Carnival?
1: I mean, I don't think the competitors see this as good because this has got to be killing the whole industry. I don't think because, you know, Carnival's going bad. You know, this has got, because my my thought is, is do I get on another cruise ship and they have the same problem? All these cruise ships are really made in about three or four different ports. And while I'm sure each cruise line can drive their own specs, they're probably more common than the similar.
0: Oh, that's probably very true. And anytime, anytime you put a lot of electricity in that kind of uh, close confines with water, you're going to have incidents. It's, it's just I think it's becoming more reported, not more prevalent. I think it already, all this stuff is already occurring. It's just being publicized.
1: And I'm, I'm sure that's the case. You, you think of any city of any size, and you have issues, trees blow down power lines, you have a breaker breaks, a fuse goes, but You know, kind of what I heard or thought about when they first happened is, you know, I work with information systems and we design it so that we don't have single points of failure. And I know that they're, you know, they don't want to give up any space that, you know, if you put an extra closet, an extra piece of equipment, that's, you know, maybe four or five less berths that you have that you can rent out. But it has got to be killing them, all the revenue that they're losing. And to kind of prove the point, we have our next article where Carnival is going to spend 700 million to improve the cruise line's dependability. Carnival Corp announced on Wednesday, after it said that you could flush toilets on that one ship, 700 million planned to upgrade its fleet and avoid incumbents oh, incumbents incidents like the one that disabled the Carnival triumph. The Carnival Cruise lines overhaul is expected to cost 300 million dollars will include significant enhancements to emergency power capabilities, new safety technologies, improved operating procedures, the company said in a release. The parent company, Carnival Corp., will be making improvements to other ships in its line, including Princess, Holland America, Seabourn, and Cunard. Overall enhancements company-wide could run as much as $700 million. The announcement comes concerned about the cruise line safety and reliability record caused by a string of high-profile incidents. This includes the Carnival Triumph, where the ship was left powerless for five days in the Gulf of Mexico, forcing passengers to poop in bags. In November 2010, the Carnival Splendor was also crippled by an engine room fire off the coast of Mexico. We've had two cruises that have not been good experiences for our guests, and that's too too many," says Cruise Line President and CEO Jerry Carhill. "We're making efforts because we're the biggest cruise line in the world, and we're not going to let the lead. We're not going to be in the lead that way and say." We're going to provide a great guest experience every time. I don't know who will. Carnival says the plan is a result of a fleet-wide comprehensive operational review scheduled to last through 2014 following the the triumph. The company said it's already begun to implement some of the improvements, including enhanced emergency generator power systems. The improvements will be completed over the next several months and should not impact crew schedules. Second phase of improvements will include permanent backup power systems and ways to maintain service if the main power is out. Although every ship in our fleet currently has emergency backup power, which is designed to enable continuous operation of safety equipment in some hotel service, it is our intent to ser- significantly bolster the backup power system in the core hotel services. This improvement will ensure that guests can flush their toilets. Now, he didn't say that. He said ensures guests comfort in a rare instance of the loss of main power. But in another article I read it, they were they did say that the new backup power, once complete, would include... Refrigeration services, the kitchen, and the toilets. So, let's see what this one is.
0: Just reinforces my opinion that I have no desire to ever take a cruise.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I would take a cruise. I'm not exactly going to try and convince my wife to take one when with all this crap going on. But I think it could be relaxing. But I would want to do something. Either the cruise is the recovery at the end of a trip, or it's the relax at the beginning of the trip. I don't know which. But I wouldn't just do a cruise.
0: Yeah, Instead, just do a liveaboard dive trip. You know, I've thought about that,
1: but I don't know how well that would go over with my wife.
0: You have a business trip that's taking you away for seven days, what?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe that could work.
0: It's just show note prep.
1: Show note prep. Now, what was that link, Mac? You You don't want
0: to talk about that
2: now.
1: No, I just saw that, and I almost did read the front of it, the the first line.
0: (laughs) You can can send that one to Dave.
1: I think, did he get it? Uh, Let me see. Uh,
0: I did not get a link from
1: Mac. Here we go. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Just don't, you don't want to say that one in the air.
0: No. No, that was on another
2: I was looking at one of your other items, and off to the right, there was several articles, and I said, what
1: the heck? <laughs> and then
2: I did read it. It's quite interesting, but not for this show. Squirrel?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Bookmark for later as I start to read it. I can think of some, I can think of some parallels, but uh, I'll leave that alone.
1: Okay. What the heck? I just pasted in an article, and it's not the one that I had earlier. I had one that was a follow-up of the where they had that plane that went down in World War II. They're looking for the tail section.
2: Yes, I found that one. It's pretty oh, neat. Did you find that one then? You go to the page that you've got. Uh huh. You look off to the right. It's a side thing under most read. Because said scuba divers will return to Cumberland Lake this weekend, where three World War II airmen perished in a fatal plane crash. All I know is these British Civil Aquatic guys really have some neat dives, and I'd like to go dive with them. I'm either their second visit will involve a search for the tail section of the plane, which has not been seen for decades. Uh, they actually have the whole details on it. It was a wreck in January 1945. A Royal Navy Grumman Avenger crashed into the Scree, S-C-R-E-E, slope, known as the Great Gully that lies at the foot of Scarfell, England's highest peak.
1: Nice. And so I, that's, isn't
2: that the one that you talked about last week? Because they not last week, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, scuba Divers found the engine block of the plane during a dive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this is yeah, just this a is continuation.
2: A it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they're right. just announcing that they're going back out. Right. Which is kind Beautiful. of handy for the for them to announce dive club events in the newspaper.
2: Yeah. This is current. This is Thursday 18th. That's today.
1: Yeah, so they're going out this weekend. So if you happen to be in the area...
2: Maybe they'll let you tag along.
1: There you go. Call them up. And this was out of the Westmoreland Gazette. And we have another world record this week. Last week we had the the longest continuous dive underwater. And this week we have the longest underwater cleanup record. I thought Mac already had
2: that. You notice that's in warm water, though. And you got visibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Borneo Post. They set a new Guinness Book of World Record title for the longest underwater cleanup, where 134 volunteer divers completed over 168 consecutive hours of underwater cleanup at 14 dive sites surrounding the Tunku Abdul Rahman Park from April 6th through the 13th. The Tourism, Cultural, and Environmental Minister. Gosh, how long a title does he have? Uh, Yesterday witnessed the Guinness World Record certification presentation for the longest underwater cleanup. The event was attended by many local politicians, and it goes on and on and on. During the attempt, volunteer divers from Malaysia as well as France, Australia, New Zealand, UK, USA, Lithuania, Switzerland, Hong Kong, and Netherlands conducted a total of 1,120 dives at 224 dive locations surrounding Tunku Abdul-Raymond Park. The volunteers collected over three tons of marine debris, including plastic bottles, bags, fishing lines, nets, cans, and tires.
2: I bet we can do better than that in less than 1,100 dives.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, what I'm picturing is that some dive operators were using this as a good excuse to get some people to travel in and do something, which is good for them if they can get it to go. But, yeah, I, I bet, well, Mac, you would have you know, at least a ton yourself.
0: I mean, did the any golf
1: balls. Yeah, just the golf balls. <laughs>
0: it's
2: just too bad we don't have more support for that around here. Because I mean, the ecology dives we've had, we have got a lot of junk out of the lake.
1: What in the Lake Michigan?
2: Any lake we've dove in for this kind of stuff, we've got tons of stuff. Yeah. We had a lot more support, even surface support in places. You know, people would actually haul it away. I think you'd get more
1: yeah we we would need to do i i'm try- I've just in my head trying to think of logistics to do that for us, and the tough thing is the cold you know even in August with temperatures getting warmer, it would take a lot of effort, and then you know twenty divers we'd just wear out
0: well darren, when you get to a dry suit, it won't be so difficult Oh,
1: well, I'm not... so that you're telling me that will help me a little bit
0: oh most certainly
1: well we've Back in the news are some lionfish. NPR, the National Public Radio, ran an article saying the lionfish attacking the Atlantic Ocean like a living oil spill. It says it's eating its way through the reefs from New York to Venezuela. Although researchers are coming up with new ways to protect some reefs from the flamboyant fish, they have no hope of stopping its unparalleled invasion. Seeing the lack of small fish that used to inhabit these reefs is very startling, to me, says Atkins, who is a director of a special projects at the Reef Environmental Education Foundation, a conservative group for scuba divers. The lionfish are native to the coral reefs in the South Pacific and in the Indian Ocean. They were first spotted off Florida in, eight, in 1985, but that hasn't until the past decade. The large numbers are spotted in the Atlantic. The fish may have been transported by the aquarium trade. They said the devastation is consistent throughout the region. They said they reproduce every few days. Eat anything that fits in their mouth, and nothing eats them because they're covered with venomous spikes.
2: Well, it looks like humans have to come to the rescue and annihilate the little suckers.
1: And the next one is they're talking about that they want to encourage people to take care of the little devils. Uh, Florida officials are encouraging lionfish harvests. This is out of Tallahassee, Florida, WINK News. State wildlife officials want to permanently change the rules that will make it easier to catch these lionfish. uh, They discussed a rule change Wednesday. The FWC put a temporary rule in place last August that waived the recreational fishing license requirement when targeting lionfish with pole spears, handheld nets, Hawaiian slings, or other devices specifically designed for catching lionfish. The temporary rule change also removed any bag limits. Before the change, recreational anglers cannot catch more than 100 pounds of lionfish without a commercial license.
2: Hey, Darren, did, did you check, you know, that last page we were on, did you go to the bottom and look at that uh, interactive map that shows the progression of the lionfish from about uh, the late, or the early, or late 1990-something to current day?
1: Yeah, I'm watching it now, and it's, it's yeah, 1986. The...
2: That's awesome. How quickly that—it almost looked like the zebra and the quagga mussel infestation. Well, and, and is it, that
1: it, well, it makes sense that it would be exponential like that. Yeah, the very so that
2: map really shows what they're talking about. You can talk to the numbers all you want. You look at that map; that's amazing. Yeah,
1: so that that is a good that is a good visual, and that's, that's put up by true. the USGS.
2: Yeah, if they haven't got the uh, the, the site. That, that's when you ought to post for people to look at because that's freaking awesome. And like you said, that shows that exponential started out small, just like that. What chessboard? Put one on one, two on the next, four, and just goes mm-hmm. right off the chart.
1: Yeah. So, so there it is in the chat room again. I pasted it again.
2: Yeah. Go to the bottom, guys, and look at that map. That's
1: awesome. And then. What I
0: hear lionfish taste good too.
1: Yeah, and that's what they're saying is that it's considered to be a delicacy. And then I had an article earlier, and I must have missed it, but they're also talking about that they had rules against spearfishing in one particular area, and they're trying to get the legislature down there to remove the restrictions on that. Because it was kind of like many hunting restrictions where, you know, just having spearfishing gear in your boat would get you arrested, and so they've got to go back through and clean up their laws and make them a little bit more consistent to allow people to take these lionfish.
2: They sure need to. It looks like it. Yeah,
1: and they, and they said they have been effective in the spots where they are encouraging hunting. You know, they're not, they're, they're not saying it's going to get rid of them all, but it at least gives some of the native species a chance, and it keeps the lionfish under, you know, a little bit better control. Without it, realize. you're just going to have reefs of nothing but lionfish sitting there floating around, waiting for things to drift their way.
2: I didn't realize they taste good.
1: Yeah, they've they've got quite a few cookbooks and competitions.
2: Are they a pain in the butt to handle if you're trying to uh, skin them and cook them?
1: We did an article. What was it probably a couple of years ago when they were talking about that? Like one competition when they first got started was handing out uh, special gloves and bags to be used.
0: Oh, that's so. one where they were handing out one pair of gloves for each buddy team.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was something. So I don't know if it's like because if you look at them, you can see they got all the spines. And then I've had friends who've had them in aquarium tanks, and they just look like an aquatic version of a porcupine. And they're float there, and they're big, and you, know, you get stabbed with them. Uh, they got some venom in there.
2: So even when they're dead on the surface, and they, you get a bite or you poke yeah. yourself, yeah. you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, because the, the venom's in the spine. So I, I don't know how it disperses if it, you know if, if it's more toxic when they're alive than dead. but. And then another article, Mac, and this one just gave me an idea for some of the stuff that we've been talking about in Lake Michigan. And maybe this is something that we could do. The Neptune mat- mat- Maternal. I don't know why I'm saying maternal. The Neptune Memorial Reef, an underwater cemetery. Uh, it was originally known as the Atlantic Memorial Reef, Atlantis Memorial Reef. It's an underwater maus- mausoleum for cremated remains. It's 3.25 miles east of Key Biscayne in Miami, Florida. It's the world's largest man-made reef covering 65,000 square meters of ocean floor at a depth of 40 feet, which is about what probably about 13 meters. Instead of spreading ashes over ocean waves, people can take the remains of loved ones to Neptune's Memorial Reef where the ashes are mixed with concrete designed for underwater use and fitted into a mold where a diver then places and secures into the reef. The copper and bronze plaque is then installed next to the structure and given a photo album with image from the installation. The project was initially superimposed to be a replica of the lost city of Atlantis, but then it shifted more towards a profitable goal by becoming the world's first underwater cemetery and memorial park. Only a half acre has been constructed, but when completed, cemetery reef will consume 16 acres. Already the reef has started to resemble a lost city with bronze statues of lions, but just a column, structures of shells and starfish, the underwater roads leading to the central feature with benches and statuary. First phase estimated to accommodate 850 remains with an eventual goal of more than 125,000.
2: And then 400 years from now, when the new divers are diving, they come across that, they're going to make, wow, look at this.
1: Yeah. All the conspiracy people are be going, look at proof.
2: They won't have any records because people will lose it, and then they'll wonder what and who did this and why.
1: Yeah.
0: And it'll be a new challenge for a new generation.
1: Well, we'll think about that. They're mixing cremated remains in with a concrete, so you can just see the uh, CIS people of their day claiming that we were sacrificing people and then grinding them to make <laughs> structures.
0: That well, all right. You didn't hear that you can use people to reinforce concrete?
1: Yeah, exactly. Soil and green is people. <laughs> You're dating yourself. I understand uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're all dating ourselves. We all we all get that one. If you don't know it, look it up. Soil and green. Charlton Heston. Yum.
2: Right below that one, did you see the other one? Subway cars dumped into the sea to make artificial reef. Now that's cool.
1: No, I didn't see that one. Okay, ooh. Yeah, look
2: at the brass plaque, the big picture of the brass plaque. Go by the shipped, uh, the whale's tail, second item in. Huh. That was pretty neat.
1: Yeah, I was excited by what Jim was talking about. Uh, Jim Schultz, who was in Indy this week and couldn't be with us, had a crappy hotel connection. Uh, he's been working on some projects, trying to get through the state of Michigan, and there's some potential opening for additional items that may be ...placed out into the Great Lakes, so it's a little early to claim any victories now, but at least getting the dialogues going uh, sounds encouraging. Why in the world is this one not wanting to come up? You want to look
0: at
2: the pictures on that. Oh, my goodness.
1: I want to. It won't come up.
0: I think I know which one you're looking at, Mac. All
2: right, I'll make it, and I'll put it back in there in case. That's awesome.
1: Wow. Come on. Come on.
2: I'm looking at, I mean, it's amazing. Well, I mean, they're gutted, but that's still interesting to look at. Look at that. If you're talking dozens upon dozens. I wonder how they got those cleaned out from environmentalists and asbestos and all that kind of stuff.
1: Come on. Interesting, though. I can't get to that site.
2: 714 cars they put in.
1: That's Here a we
2: go. Lot of, that's a lot of steel. Well, depending ah. on
0: how far off it is, you don't have to do too much cleanup. You just have to have an incident, right? Uh. That'd...
2: The concept has already shown great promise, transforming a barren stretch of floor to a beautiful oasis carpeted by seagrass, walls thick with blue mussel sponges teeming with black bass and two tog. The reef is currently composed of 714 cars and continues to grow, a thriving community that was once an underwater desert. You can see if you have all those cars down there. That's tons of places for fish to be.
1: That is that is a, that is awesome. Where are they doing? And it's that's in the U.S., isn't it? New York City's discarded subway cars, they're tossed in the ocean over the period of two and a half years. In the photos, uh, they're in the Atlantic Department, Delaware Department of Natural Resources Environmental Control deposited hundred of vacant vessels in an effort to jumpstart a new reef 16 miles off the state's coast. That would be amazing, yeah. wouldn't it? How-
2: well, obviously it worked there, too.
1: Why are we not hearing about this, though? There should be people talking about diving on this.
2: Interesting.
1: If you listen to the show and you've dove on this, send us some photos. Give us a a link. We want to hear about it. This is that's amazing.
0: I missed the link. Where's it? Where's it located?
1: Here, let me paste it back to you. There you go. That is that is that is great. I mean, Mac, that that'd be that'd be perfect for us here in Lake Michigan.
2: Absolutely.
1: Uh, that something like that. You just go and you just run a string of them. Just pick a distance out and go three or four miles and just drop these in, that'd be great.
2: I can't believe the perch wouldn't go crazy there.
1: Yeah. Well, well and they talked on about one of the requirements is that you want something historic. Pullman cars were all made in Michigan City.
0: Well, based upon what Jim was telling me about that uh, that whole change to the preserves, that could be a possibility if that legislation goes through.
1: Yeah, I, I think so too, as well. I mean, that'd be that'd be great.
2: No matter I, what you do, though, you're going to get adverse comments.
1: Oh, well, you're always going to get that, but I th- once you get one started and you take pictures and you show people what is on it, how can they argue? I mean they're gonna argue you're gonna have people who are just deniers and don't want anything, and you just gotta <clears throat> deal with them.
2: I' was just looking at some of the comments it said, uh so who is profiting by using our ocean for a garbage dump for people? Why not throw the bodies in? let the fish let them be fish food they oh, that was bags. the
1: one on the uh, uh
2: yeah, and they're cement overshoes,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure we've already got some of those out in Lake Michigan as well, that style. Awesome. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we've got some photos of the week, and the the first article that showed the photos is scuba divers, brave, sub-zero conditions, and these are these, all these photos have a green tint to them.
2: Yeah, so, all our pictures on the wreck have green tints. Yeah. But the water is clear. It's a really neat picture of the guy looks like he's standing on something, and it's the contrast between him and the green is outstanding. Yeah, he's they said the, the nice green is
1: caused by humus, a major component in the organic matter of soil.
2: I just want to make sure I can find my way back in that mess.
1: Yeah, well, they, they did make a comment that between every dive, they did have to break open the holes because they kept sealing up. And they've got one where they're standing upside down on the ice. Yeah. That, that's a cool photo. I, I I want to do something like that this year. But yet we've missed our ice.
0: Thank God. It's time for <laughs> summer. I'll take my three ice dives I got this winter and chalk them up and I'm ready for warmer water. Oh,
1: you had ice dives. We we never had enough ice to do anything with.
0: I wouldn't say they were ice dives. They were crust dives.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah well, we know what that's like two years ago. That's what we ended up having. Yep.
0: We even got Paul in the chat room up here, and uh, he went, he broke through the ice and got to uh, experience some of that Great Lakes region, uh, nice cold water. Did pretty good with it.
1: Yeah. And then this next one is 30 abandoned places that look truly beautiful. And we paste that in the chat room as well. as It will also be on our show notes when we get them up. Not all of them are underwater. There are a few where boats are floating in the surface, uh, but the underwater ones are, are great as well.
0: I find the sunken yacht in Antarctica kind of interesting. Is that a buoy marking the wreck?
1: Yeah, I think or that's so the... So you don't the, hit it? Yeah, you don't hit it. I mean, could you imagine that, how many thousands of miles you come with your boat and then you you smack into some Yahoo's yacht that sunk and you sink? Wow. I'm always wondering, when you see it sunk there, why didn't somebody come and recover that? Well, that's probably logistics. Like some, of
2: these, some of these, like that, uh, the remain number 12... The remains of Pegasus in Antarctic. Yeah. I'd like to know the story of that one. That's an airplane stuck in the ice.
0: Yeah, it does look like... Uh, it looks like a drone of some kind. <laughs>
2: oh, Drones don't normally have three tails.
0: Well, I don't see any window. Well, I guess it could be.
2: That's that's, that's an interesting... Well, they're all interesting pictures.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Just, I like 14.
2: Number 13 makes you think of the Raiders of the Lost Ark and all that
1: stuff. Oh, yeah.
0: That'd be some good diving. Probably... Crap visibility, but a
1: look. Looks a little rough. Okay, that's a Constellation aircraft, Mac.
2: A uh, Connie. I love Connie. How do you know? Did you look at up somewhere?
1: Yeah, I, I threw it into Google, and, they, and that photo came up, and they said it's a Pegasus crashed Constellation aircraft, McMurdo Sound, Antarctica.
2: Yeah, Constellation was the queen of the Airways. That's a beautiful airplane. Let
1: me see if I can find something else that talks about it.
2: Now that abandoned train depot, number sixteen, that's freaking that's great. That picture, you can't hardly tell that's a picture. It almost looks like a painting.
1: Oh yeah. Well we're talking about stuff to sink in the Great Lakes, wouldn't that be awesome? Or
2: North Sea for that goes. I'm looking at that and says, Man, that's give them a home.
1: The the color in that photo
2: is awesome, isn't it?
1: It's almost three D. And that one's in Poland. And it's like all of a sudden, one day, they just stopped. It's like they they pulled all the trains into one station and said, okay, you're just going to stay here. Yeah. And it looks like a trolley system. Don't they look like they're electric?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm just thinking that whatever organization, government agency, whoever had that gave up on it, and they just sit there.
2: I still like that Antarctic sunken yacht. That is, that is really cool.
1: It just no has crazy. that kind of a creepy look to it. And then below that one, 18, has the... Distillery in Barbados, and then in our own backyard, Michigan Central Station in Detroit.
2: Yeah, that's abandoned. That's awesome building.
1: Yeah. Well, the Gary's also got some amazing buildings in it that look a lot like that. And then I look at the number 20, the Olympic bobsled track in Sarajevo, and I know I've watched people race down that track on TV when the Olympics yeah. were going on. That is just so sad, that whole city just... Yep deteriorated and destroyed. That's
2: what a civil war will do to you. Yeah,
1: And then those the Russian, I've seen another, I've seen this photo in 22, which is the rocket facility. There's a lot of those old Soviet places that are just sitting there like that. And, and what's interesting about those is that the Soviets were in such a competition with the West is that they tried to do things big, but they always did stuff about 70%. So they got like the scale, but the finish and quality always seemed to be a little off. Like a sci-fi movie.
0: Some incredible photography.
1: I wonder what the story is behind that theater, Mac, in Chicago. Lawndale Theater. They've got it all propped up like they're working on something.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, I see what that is. That was a theater, and then they they probably turned it into conference rooms and did a drop ceiling. God, look at that. Yeah. They they, They dropped ceiling from like 90 feet down to 18 feet. That's spooky.
2: Yeah, those were, like I said, not necessarily dive, but they were very interesting pictures.
1: And then we've got seven amazing underwater nature photographers. And if you like to follow underwater photographers, these are some that you should take a look at. Now, somebody who did not make this list, and I don't know how, but is, uh, you know, dive mistress Tara from down in New Zealand. She's also got some amazing photos. So if you go over to Google+, Plus. And you look her up, she's got her libraries of photos over there. Or you can probably also get to them from her Dive Mistress site. But these seven underwater photographers. And the first one's Dmitri Myroshov.
2: Well, some of those are awesome. Yeah,
1: Sebastian Gerhard. has got some turtles and looks like a jellyfish. Eco Jones. Amar and Isabella Gulen. Gullion. I know I'm killing their name.
2: The ones with the diving ducks in the middle of sharks is an awesome shot when you really think about that. here's a little thing about flying underwater.
1: Dmitry Marishov, uh, Shonikov, And then I think another one we talked about, Alexander, Alexander Semenov. A. Carlos Harrier. H-E-R-R-E-R-A, and Anton Akimatova. And I apologize for slaughtering all their names. I'm sure they're just cringing if they hear about it. But, yeah, an, an excellent article. And then we also have some videos this week. You can get to the videos by going to divevideos.scubobsessed.com And we've got two of them. The most recent one, the one I posted earlier today, was on cave dives. In Florida. Oh, no, that was last week's. It was cave dives in Florida. Gosh, I didn't put this other post in there. We had cave dives in Florida, and then we also had an underwater volcano. Everybody wants to go into it because now the site's going slow.
2: Cave diving is really extreme, but when you do penetrations, I mean, really, penetrations of a wreck, that's also extreme.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just like cave diving, but in a vessel. Yeah. In and that, in that cave, just the drifting through some very clear video footage.
2: Did you did you get that uh, dive video? obsesscom Florida caves. You're, yeah. you're on that one, right?
1: Yeah, we, I was able to get to it. Can you okay, get to it?
2: If you if you go to shipwrecks, go to Lake Michigan. It's some of the ones we've been diving: Maxwrecks, Lumberman, Ironsides.
1: Well, you know whose website that is.
2: I, well, I don't know. I just got on that one item. It's got to be yours now that I look. Yeah. It.
1: <laughs> Oh, little well, self-shameless self-promotion. Yeah. yeah. No, I put this site up just for my own purposes when I'm talking to people and they're going, you know, non-divers don't know anything about diving. And you can't send them to YouTube and say, look up scuba diving because there's so many crap. Somebody's unedited 30-minute video that they went that they took with a fogged housing. Yeah, you know, that doesn't give you any idea of what it's like to go diving. So. The purpose of the Scuba Obsessed Dive videos is to have some of the best videos that are examples. And then if you get into a topic and you like it, there should be a few of them. So what I've done is I've broken them down. We have, you know, bucket lifts, dives, caves, creative dives, you know, the ad campaigns, the parodies. We have some educational. Uh, we have uh, reef dives, uh, shipwrecks, you know, some underwater critters. So yeah, you can go on and on. But the uh, the one that I added, and I think I put it underneath reefs. Oh, crap, it's not showing up. Probably need to go back and edit that. But if you go to home, it will show them in the the most recent order in which they've been added. And we've got uh, when a volcano erupts. And this one was put together by PBS, and it shows divers who are actually diving on an erupting volcano. And if you want to fast forward to the part where they actually get the volcano, it's about two minutes in to almost seven-minute video. And it's literally lava exploding in the water and it's making unstable rock which is then rolling down and the and the divers said that they were being thrown up against the rock the current was that strong and they said had it been any stronger they'd have scorched themselves against the hot lava rock
0: that's pretty awesome
1: yeah so you know it's it's like take our extreme river dives and then you add a little element of danger with hot lava
0: i would like to do that in a dive where i had plenty of visibility
1: and they didn't. I mean, it, this is the water in the area had decent visibility, but when they got to where the lava was going on, it was it gets a little cloudy, and they're being pelted down by some of the volcanic debris. They've got like stones and ash and stuff that's in the water. So, and the video gives you a good feel of what it was like.
0: Kind of sounds like diving to Cooper.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Some some amazing video. So go take a look at that. And so that does it for Scuba in the News. I got to catch up on the the site. We did have Tweetin giving us a hand, and I'm hoping that everything's okay with him. I haven't heard, heard from him in a while. Uh, so you know, he did get the married life. So maybe I don't know. If that's good or bad. I mean, getting married's good, but I'm wondering how it's working out for him. So, gee, I got to say that my wife might listen someday.
0: Nah, I doubt that. You're safe. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we've only got a few hundred hours of these going on. Now, did anybody get any dives in?
2: Well, river's high.
1: I, I went On my way to work this morning, I knew that the river was going to be a challenge when you see farm fields that look like a pond. The, the the river there, like Hickory Creek, which is just you know 100 yards away from where I work, that was over the banks and across the bottom of the ravine. You know, there in the bottom of Cleveland Road where the Hickory Creek coughs, crosses, that was just flooded. So we have got a lot that's of... That's
0: been the story of the winter, though, Darren. The rivers have been just crap all winter.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's what this feels like. This is what we usually see. You know, I hate to go say we're getting flooded because, you know, we got Lake Michigan. As long as, you know, it just flows off the land right in Lake Michigan. But you, when at the end of a snow, you know, if we get a, lot, a snowy season, a lot of snow, and it all melts... This is normally what you expect to see. But in right. this particular case, you know, here we are in April. It's a little bit unusual to have that much water in a rainstorm.
2: Now, uh, this, this was, like well, I dove uh, Tuesday in the river uh, down there by the new golf course.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Ken's comment was, it's the first time he'd seen me in the river that I couldn't go upstream in the current. <laughs> uh, I really wish I'd have had my creeper with me because it was a chore. Wow. And the visit was about six inches.
0: Did you find anything good?
2: No. Nope. It was one of the few times it's like, okay, I'm glad to get out. I mean, I was glad to be in, but I got out and I thought my suit was leaking. And it was just, I was sweating so much trying to move around. <laughs> I was actually dry, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, cheating.
0: Yeah, Darren doesn't know what that means.
1: <laughs> no. To me, dry is not wetting myself. Uh-huh. It sure yeah,
2: is be- nice though when you're when you're taking the suit off and you got a little wind and you're you're actually dry. That that is pleasant.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I hate to say it, but the only diving I've really gotten in in the last week was uh, in the pool teaching.
1: Yeah, even I, I'd even settle for that.
0: I will be. Uh, I will say I'll be back out this weekend. I did get in the water two weekends ago, but uh, that's more than a week ago. Yeah.
1: Now, when you say this weekend, where are you going to be this weekend that you're getting to dive in?
0: Uh, this weekend, got a dry suit class going on at White Star and uh, going to be raising another platform and putting out the last of the buoys.
1: Now, what will White Star result from all this rain?
0: Um, typically, what happens is water level will come up a little bit, and because of the runoff, the visibility will kind of drop down a little bit. Give it a few days and it settles back out, and uh, it's back to normal.
1: Now, on White Star, is there like overflow pipes? I mean, is, is there like a maximum level that it will get to?
0: Yeah, there is a maximum level if it gets to that. I probably won't be there because I won't be able to get through the flooded roads through the town surrounding. But uh, <laughs> last year, the water level was up about 10 feet higher than normal for a couple of months, and it, it took forever for it to go off because it's mainly relying on evaporation. We don't know of any natural drainage, but typically it, it takes a lot of water to raise the level, anything considerable.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. So at least you're going to, you got an excuse to get a little diving in.
0: Yeah, a little bit of work, a little bit of lift
1: bag practice. Still got to fig. I still got to get over there. I, and I've been intru- saying that.
0: And Darren introducing a new dry suit diver to the beauty of dry suit diving this weekend. So, another plus. Oh,
1: yeah, okay. Dry not suit. Not trying to uh, rub it in. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, Steve in the chat room was even getting his dry suit. So, maybe if everybody can learn by my, by my pain. <laughs> Don't be me. So... Uh, now go through the norm oh we did have something we did have a comment on Facebook let me go ahead and pull up Facebook get that one in we love those five star reviews so if you go to iTunes if that happens to be where you subscribe from head over to iTunes and drop us a line or drop us a line give us a, a five star review that'd be awesome. Uh, you can also follow us on Google Plus. We've got the Google Plus page. I'm going to do more over there. I notice I've I've got more Google Plus followers than I've got uh, Facebook followers. So maybe the tides are turning on that. Plus, they've, they've done a facelift. It's actually looking pretty good. We're also on Access Scuba, accessscuba.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Follow us on Twitter. Go to our website and add your pin to the fan map. We We'd love to know where all our fans are located. So if you go to scuba obsessed click on the about button fans and then add your pin that lets us know where you're at and you can see where other divers who listen to the show are and and maybe you can even connect somehow or at least know that they're there mac you got anything to plug
2: not really um i did do a presentation tonight for the um questers which was fun it was the first time i'd had a entire group that was nothing but ladies and uh Presentation normally an hour. It was an hour and twenty something minutes this time, and they were participative. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed myself. I hope they did.
1: You said it was nothing but ladies. Yes. The, well, then how uh, could you uh, not enjoy yourself? Well, that's why you posted that article link, Darren. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the the one that we can't talk about. Yeah. Oh, well, I, yeah. We see where that where that's going. Okay. Yeah. In the chat room, they're they're telling me I need to do a Kickstarter project for a dry suit. Yeah I, to, I may, yeah, I might even consider that. <laughs> I'd be embarrassed. Well, one thing I'd like to
0: turn there, Darren, for everybody that listens to this, and uh-huh. uh, we're all divers, and there's a lot of people listening to this that are just interested in diving. If you're not diving, go, uh, go get certified and go diving. If you're a diver and you're already certified, why don't you go out there and hook up and uh, introduce your next dive buddy? We need yeah. more divers out here.
1: Yeah, if you're listening to this show and you're not a diver, what are you waiting for? Go out there and find a dive shop. If you need some need some assistance, I know that Dave and Rich over at Divers Incorporated are more than happy to help you out. They'll they'll give you some direction on what to look for in a diving instructor. Or you could probably even uh, work out a deal where they you could come to them. I'm, I'm sure Dave you'd travel too if somebody wanted oh, you to. Oh most travel. certainly.
0: <laughs> most certainly. Anybody that's uh, you know, somewhere you know, nowhere where the water is any warmer than say sixty five, I don't want to be spoiled. But most certainly, uh, you know, we need we need to just keep going out there and building our dive community and and find our next dive buddy.
1: And also take the advantage, if you are a diver and you haven't gotten out yet, take the time, do it this weekend, go into your closet, pull your gear out, inspect everything, and get some service going. If you need to have your regulator serviced, now's the time. It's not going to get any easier. If your tanks, check them out, make sure that they have their vises. Have they had their hydros? Are they in need of hydro? Get that stuff taken care of because it is going to be nice here soon. We are what probably five weeks away from summer at this point, the beginning of summer. That's not long at all.
0: You know, I actually had a guy come in tonight, Darren, that uh, he was planning on going diving this weekend. He brought a tank in for a fill, and it was uh, about four years out of hydro.
1: <laughs> four years out of hydro. And yeah. what was it, what was his comment when you told him that?
0: Um, I'll keep it clean and say it's really similar to the Chicago river, but, um, hooked him up a free rental and that way he can go dive this weekend and we've got his stuff going out for hydro in the morning, but don't, don't wait for that moment. Yeah. Get it in there.
1: Yeah. Not, not all the dive shops are as, as good as Rich's. So yeah, get that done. It's going to be great. You're going to be hearing us talking about the dives that we're doing, which I was hoping to get one in this weekend. But with it being this wet, I'm not going to mess with it. The following weekend, I think I'm also going to get skunked because I've got first aid meet for Boy Scouts, being a Boy Scout leader and getting involved with that. That's going to cut into a little bit of my dive time this year. So, uh, Well,
0: Darren, I, I do have to point out, as we're speaking about gear maintenance and prep for the season, um, we've had guest six, guest seven, and guest eight. All the same person. They're asking for a refund from Talkshoe, but um, <laughs> if you look in the chat room, they just pointed out your tattered wetsuit. Mm. Yeah, they're,
1: they're actually. They're, it sounds like you are trying to discourage me from getting one because they think I won't have anything to talk about if I oh, don't no, have I'm the sure. tattered wetsuit to talk about.
0: No, because first of all, you're forgetting you'll pee in your dry suit and then hang it in a scuba tree. <laughs>
1: Well isn't that what the P valve's for? Now you have to I assume you have to assemble the P valve. Yes, you, know you have that. to
0: install it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I just yeah, okay. Now now where's the P valve go? Is that going the boot?
0: The P valve goes where the P valve must go. It's kind of like the difference between an Irishman and a Scotsman's kilt length. A kilt must cover what a kilt must cover.
1: And for some people it needs to cover a little less or a little more than others. Exactly. And and we're kind of back to the article that Mac pasted in again. What a teaser. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. Gosh, do we have anything else that we need to to do? Uh, I, I think I, I'm optimistic, and, and we're going to tease everybody because we are going to find some new wrecks this year and plus do some other stuff. So, uh, you know, get out, do, do some diving. I did a survey today. Somebody had emailed me uh, and asked me to do a survey, and not because I'm anybody special, but just because I'm a scuba diver. They're doing it on Google. It must be some sort of research project they were doing. And I gave them some grief in the comments because they listed all these diving locations throughout the United States, the East Coast, the West Coast, Bahamas. I mean, they literally had every foot of shoreline, but they had nothing for the Great Lakes.
0: That's, that's quite a shame. The Great Lakes have some of the most phenomenal diving that's out there. And also, Darren, I will tell you that there was a little chat room bonus there. Um, I did kind of throw out a link to an article we were quietly discussing just for the chat room.
1: Ooh, a chat room bonus. So you're missing out if you you didn't get in the chat room. And we'll we'll thank, uh, we've got uh, Big Stig and uh, Mark and Paul and some other guests, guests six, seven, and eight uh, for coming in the chat room. Thank you for listening, and and there's some encouragement for a Kickstarter, so I might have to do that. I I don't know. Is, does a Kickstarter have to be anything like that? There's also Indiegogo and a few other sites.
0: Well, you know, I actually one thing came out of this is we just helped guest eight because this week their task is to actually log into TalkShoe. It's free, and get their username so we can see their name when they log in, and their <laughs> name is probably going to end up being diver 678.
1: six seven eight. Six seven eight. Maybe they don't want to be known. Maybe that's what it is. Well, that could be. They want to be incognito.
0: And aforementioned uh, guest eight is saying that the Smithsonian may be interested in your tattered wetsuit.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> somebody, somebody is saying uh, another another guest in there saying if we uh, if somebody's willing to donate three thousand, I should send them my wetsuit, and and I'll do that if you if somebody is. Willing to donate $3,000, I will gladly sign. I'll even make a a glass case to put the, the wetsuit in <laughs> so they like to keep a low profile. So once again, thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate our fans. Uh, that's why we do the show. I mean, there's been, there's been many times where you just kind of get burned out and you go, oh, I don't do it, and then you see the fans enjoying the show. So, uh, you know, share some of that love. Get somebody to, to listen. I'm, I'm thinking about putting together some, some image files so that people could make CDs and pass them around and share them with people to listen to the program. Also, let us know if there's anything you'd like us to do. Uh, I've got a few ideas and things I'm going to do, and I've been, I know I've been promising for quite a while. I've got, you know, work and work and work has been getting in the way and then other work. So also, if you like to get involved and you want to do some help, uh, I've, you know, I've got a list of projects that I could draft some volunteers for on the show if they, if they're interested. Oh, and I, and I teased about the website. So we talk about that and we have, uh, and this one was from, uh, Facebook and this was Mark. He says, I posted this in divers sync first, which we won't hold that against them, but it pertains to you guys too. I just wanted to pass along my appreciation for your podcast production. I rarely get the opportunity to join you in chat room, but I never miss an episode and have listened to every single one and many several times. Oh, I'm sorry. I have stated this before, but I find your enthusiasm about diving contagious between uh, you and Darren. I think he's meaning rich. And the guys, if scuba obsessed, you've really stoked and provoked me in extending my local dive season much deeper in the winter and early in the spring than is common here among my regular dive buddies. I've made two dives, White's Fusion Fourth Element Undies, and the local quarry, Lake Rawlings, yesterday. Water temperature is 46 degrees Fahrenheit. And thoroughly enjoyed myself, although many people here will not venture here before June 1st. I enjoy my new, bu- new scuba- obsessed reputation along my buddies and dive club here. Keep up the good work, guys. And so thank you so much, Mark. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you for the comments and, and see if you can get anybody in there. It's, uh, to-, to join you. I mean not- nothing's better than a scuba- obsessed dive buddy with you. More well, I would. Uh,
0: I, I've already. I, I think I've already told him that uh, I'm more than willing to get back to Rawlings. One of the best things at Rawlings, they have a school bus named Miss Nikki, and they sell a T-shirt that says, "I went down on the Miss Nikki." I went down <laughs> on Miss Nikki. Great quarry. Great dive site. Cold water, especially this time of year, but warm compared to up here. Yes, yeah, a different Mark. He's Marky. Mark.
1: Oh, okay. Yep.
0: Space E, not Marky,
1: but Mark E. Marky Mark or. That's that's okay. We 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 can have more than one mark listen to the show. That won't hurt at all. So let's see. I think I think we've got that. Going through my checklist, got all that done. Okay. okay. Well, I I think we've got to that time of the show. Mac, are you prepared for this? I am
0: here with bated breath.
1: Whatever
2: that
0: means.
1: <laughs> well, that kind of ties in. Yes. Yeah. Okay. A dive shop owner and a lawyer were fishing in the Caribbean, attempting to strike up a conversation. The lawyer said. I'm here because my house burned down, and everything I owned was destroyed in the fire. My insurance paid for everything. What a coincidence, said the dive shop owner. I'm here because my house and all my belongings were destroyed in a flood. Fortunately, my insurance company paid for everything, too. Looking a little confused, the lawyer asked, How did you start the flood? <laughs> Ugh, girl. <laughs> now I, I will take that back if we get a lawyer who was willing to donate to the dry suit fund. so i will undo all the the lawyer jokes or the half uh, of the file file. nah no <laughs> you, don't, you don't think it's worth it
0: it's probably homemade money
1: homemade money
0: well we're still on, that on this note,
1: until next week, go out there and get wet. And remember, and
0: stay safe. And remember, no Chicago River artifacts were harmed in making this podcast.
1: All recording has been completed.